This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Did you know the top 10 mobile games in the U.S. gross more than $340 million in June? Do you want your game to earn more? App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you keep track of competitors and the game market. From how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and even which tools they use to power their games. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. Got a great idea for a nap or a game? With app figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news. With app figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your game or building a new one, app figures has what you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. Best of all, you don't need a large budget or data science degree to do this kind of thing anymore. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, App Figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step by step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that actually. Head to appfigures.com forward slash on forward slash gain dev unchained to try app figures for free again that's app figures a-p-p-f-i-g-u-r-e-s dot com forward slash o-n forward slash gain dev unchained to try it for free if you like it use our special code gdu3030 to get 30 percent off for the next three months What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and I'm back at it with a part four of five series where we kind of look back on the best of 2021. The theme of this episode are highlights of a new segment that we added last year called Art Boost. So, me being an artist in the game industry, I felt it was nice to kind of dedicate a segment of the podcast to art development, uh, specifically talking about how game developers, artists in particular, uh, are utilizing their techniques and uh, going through their workflows. Without further ado, the first highlight is with Lisa Losiva. She is a great character artist uh, that lives overseas in Europe and she was able to kind of share her work process, how difficult it is to kind of get into the U.S., working with U.S. companies, certain restraints when it comes to being overseas and um, working in that fashion. So without further ado, this is episode 265, Art Boost, Sculpting AAA Characters with Lisa Losiva. I know people who like what they're doing here and they really 
they like freelancing. They like to work, you know, from home in their pajamas and to live in Ukraine. I know people who want to work in Poland and see CD Projekt Red, and it was their goal. So we're all different, you see. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, talking about goals, talking about showing awesome stuff, being with friends, being without friends. Uh, I think it's a perfect segue to kind of go into today's main meat of the subject, which is showing off your amazing work. A lot of uh, viewers out there who are very interested in, okay, what what does Lisa have to show to us, all right? Um, if you don't mind to kind of just start with the, the screen share, I can buy us some time as you get that set up. And you can probably talk about uh, what you are looking to show us today. So you are a character artist by trade. Um, yeah. Has it always been your passion uh, to do specifically character art and not like environment art, prop art, or any other type of art? Uh, okay. It was my... Actually, I started to learn Maya and really wanted to be a, an animator. It was my goal. I wanted to make like animation movies or something. But after some time, after I seen some really big games, uh, I get back to video games and I start to like gaming again very heavily. And I start to like interest, to be interested more and more in video game art. And to be honest, I always thought that environment art artists are like more interesting profession than character art. Because for me, they were the ones who making, you know, the worlds, the places where all the games are set. But as for me, I it's just it's just my thing. I'm really I'm better with with characters. I'm better with people. I'm better with faces and so on. So it was like a natural natural choice for me to start character art. And you can see on the screen, it's basically all my career in one shot because I started with uh, like this really painterly uh, hand-painted textures or characters. And I went through really stylist stages and this is my like professional work in Platinum and this is my last one and we're actually planning to do this stream for a long time and when we start planning it I was thinking about showing Chester and kind of talking about this most stylized thing but this uh, this model was my last one, The Wanderer, and I think it will be actually really interesting to talk about this one. Awesome. Yeah, uh, because it was my first like serious, real, realistic model after a lot of stylized stuff. So I think it will be more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you are switching or, or maybe uh, powering it up... Um, Online resources and self-education is something I feel this industry needs for every artist, even if they go through a traditional school. So United States, uh, thankfully, we have a lot of resources uh, to go to physical schools or, uh, or accessibility. 
But um, even with that, uh, with the changing tools that happens every two, three years, uh, even as a professional, uh, you will have to get back into self-discipline to kind of keep up with everything. What has been your most valuable resource to kind of make sure that you're on top of your game? Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> okay. Most valuable resource. It's a good question. I think YouTube was my most valuable resource mm-hmm. and art station because I was looking at other people's work and I was like really wanted to do the same. So I started Googling furiously how to make like clothes and marbles designer or how to make a model for printing and so on. It's just countless hours of YouTube. <laughs> That's pretty much it, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I'm pretty sure you're pretty savvy with the search terminology because YouTube has a lot of good tutorials, but it also has a lot more bad tutorials. <laughs> a is lot of like, bad tutorials. Is there a secret sauce of uh, how you determine which one's good, which one's bad before investing too many uh, too many time in a tutorial? Any shortcuts oh. that you see within like 10 minutes? You're like, all right, this is a bad tutorial. I'm not watching this. <laughs> actually uh, skip to the like last minutes and see the result and if I like the result like really like it I then I try to like skip through some parts and then I start from the, like from the beginning and then I start to learn it because if you if you don't like the result then there is no way you should learn it it's the same with the instructors because always look at the work of your teacher always look at the work of your instructor because if you like what his or she uh, is doing then he uh, or she has something to like teach you that makes sense to me yeah that's great (laughs) all right so i'm gonna sit back a bit and chime in once in a while but i'll let you take it away and start showing us uh yeah okay um First of all, I will show you the the video just for you to see how this model actually looks like in Mar- uh, in Marmoset. Because I would love to show you the real scene in Marmoset, but my computer just dying every time I, I try to <laughs> power up the Marmoset and stream. So yeah. it will be just right. video. So I think I will show you the hair setup and I think I will show like the cards and how it looks like in Maya. Then uh, we'll see about uh, the backpack, like the process of making and maybe overview and if someone has, uh, and Clovis from Marmoset to ZBrush. And then if someone has any questions there, I think just go through them yeah i definitely have a lot of questions for sure (laughs) well you can start to ask them because we have like (laughs) one one more minutes (laughs) yeah yeah well the hair thing is something i've heard uh, many character artists still are um uh 
disappointed that there hasn't been like a huge jump in technology to deal with hair. It's still a lot of alpha cards and just sitting there and and, and straightening out those planar cards. Uh, have you, unless, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, have you heard anything on the horizon or things that you've done to kind of make that process a little simpler and fun for yourself? Oh, no. No, not in the horizon. I think not in the near future, nothing. Because if it will be some kind of surprise software, I'm really eager to see it. <laughs> because I was like placing all the cards by hand, mm-hmm. like every card by hand, and it's super time consuming. And it's not for everyone, let's just say it, because people who get bored easily. Oh, it's a kryptonite for them, I think. Also, this project was part of the mentorship program uh, with Frank Zeng. Uh, he was kind of my mentor. He was talking to me about all this like realistic stuff. And I was asking him like right away, will it be like easier to do hair? Will you teach me something about the hair? And he said, just said, no. <laughs> no secrets you just it's just hours and hours and hours of hand placing cards and that's all yep. so yeah uh, no no secrets no secret sauce unfortunately okay uh first the cards so the model looks like this in maya let me show you the whole model so looks like this. It moderately had like uh, 91,000, 92,000 polygons in it. It's with the hair. And it's relatively, as I, as I heard, it's relatively like meat poly for AAA games nowadays. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, like Horizon Zero Dawn, I think they have like 100 thousand polygons only for the hair yeah and then the same amount for the like for the model itself okay so getting back to the head and uh the hair consists of three layers okay the first layer is basically just really dirty place cards really big and they don't have texture right now but it's the same texture as the second layer i'll show you later so it's actually just to create the idea that underneath all the hair there is something so it shouldn't be like super fancy it's just for the like base layer second layer it's the hair itself it's the main hair uh, they have like this card. You can see here it's just five variants, no more, no less. I saw really hard tutorials about you need to bake and create hair in XGen and bake them and so on and so forth. This mod was drawn by hand in Photoshop. So <laughs> it was super, super, super easy. Uh, it's just we created the volume of the hair, like the idea of the flow, where should 
every strand go. And after that, after we like ready with the results, we just add a lot of like flyaway hair, like little strands of hair, little something that show it that it's not the like it's real, realish. And after that, it's a transition part. Transition part is basically just the part of the head with the texture in it. So we saw and think that hair actually starts to grow and not just placed on the head itself. Uh, the same with the beard. Hello, hand placed cards. It's like, I think, 4,000 cards. No system at all. Just look at the reference and place them by hand. So this is the setup. Uh, it finally gives you the result like like this. So you can see like all the little hairs and the transitions. And now I definitely appreciate the hard work put behind <laughs> because I've always heard I'm an environment artist by trade. So every time I talk to a character artist, they're always talking about the hair. And uh, yeah, you're pre pretty much just laying, uh, well, in dir direct relation to what we do, like grass cards <laughs> all over on a yeah, sphere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And those are like, foliage is like one of the 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 pain points for environment artists now. So you guys are just doing foliage on a head, uh, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. uh, I do have a question from the audience here about what you said earlier. This is from SS one Reaper, uh, from our Twitch chat. So he or she is mentioning. So you were referencing about aiming for a big studio, but needing a education to definitely get into that big studio because it's so competitive. So the question is, what do you suggest you do if you don't have such schools such as yourself uh, for formal education? Would an online course like no one work? And uh, I guess uh, any type of online, respectable online education will be suffice enough for you to kind of land that interview and, and job over the States. I mean, what has been your experience or what you've heard about that? Well, I, I actually asking this very question, every guy from the industry, <laughs> I lay my eyes on because it's really crucial for me to, and everyone said something like online courses are very good, but they don't give you the permission to get a visa because you need the like proper education, which is in the sphere you are continuing to work. So if you're an artist, you need an art education. Like uh, Noman is not like online Noman courses is not counting only like on site uh, the program. Norman, and it it's the same for other schools. But if you have all the courses and your work is really good and you're working on different pro projects and you're not 
maybe some people, you talk to them and they know you and you give some interviews and maybe some like art station challenges and so on, you can get all one visa. It's a visa for like outstanding, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot it in English. Mm. Okay, so you should be really, really good to get this visa, but it, you don't need an education, formal education to get it. You don't need uh, the years of work to get it. And you just need to uh, get this job and have a really good portfolio and have a lot of like articles or challenges on something like this. Mm-hmm. So I think it will be it will be the like the road I will take eventually when I will be this good mm-hmm. <laughs> someday. Well, I definitely want to sign off on that. I just I think uh, being good at your specific discipline will definitely uh, trump or at least help with uh, with any other fallacies right just any other weaknesses uh, at least in the states right in the states um uh any of the jobs that we apply for doesn't really require uh like a degree right uh i've i happen to have a bachelor's degree but i've never really been questioned about anybody asking yeah. to see the diploma so are you so the h1 visa thing does that i mean is it enough for a company like naughty dog let's say hey lisa love your work come work at naughty dog um would that be enough to get sponsored for a visa or would they have to is it a government thing where they require some formal education yes okay it's it's uh it's purely government thing because for companies they don't need your education at all but the government they need you to uh to prove them that you are the best choice you know that no one in the united states can like be on your place that's why you need an education it's some kind of really old policy because mm-hmm. nowadays we have a lot of jobs that don't need formal educations, yeah. education, but we have what we have, but it's still only U.S. thing, I mm-hmm. think so, because in Europe, in some cases, you can get visa without, without uh, like formal education. Uh, the next episode is with Gabriel Egan Yun. I'm pretty sure I'm messing that up but he's currently working at respawn as a senior character artist uh specifically i think he helped with the last star wars ip Uh, when i was talking with him he was gracious enough to kind of talk about his work process and uh sharing his techniques and what is great about him is he's also a teacher on the side so he was very uh it was very natural for him to kind of go through that and the importance of uh, working with leading studios such as Sony Santa Monica, Infinity Ward, Riot, and so on and so forth. So this is episode 250, Architectural Concept with Gabriel Yiginian. To get them what they want, yeah. essentially. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, I think, an exercise in and of itself. I think that's, I think, twofold. Like one of them is um, being able to communicate ideas 
verbally um, as clearly as you can, which is something that I still work with all the time and, and try to get better at because, you know, you, you might be in a meeting and uh, these conversations come up and they deal with major decisions that will affect not just your concept art, but the whole project. And the more you can be adept at having that conversation in the abstract and being able to uh, ping pong ideas around as a group, as a kind of brainstorming group, um, the better you'll be at uh, kind of both working toward a solution together and finding the best possible answer. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, you kind of, it's, it's surprising that actually it's not very surprising, but I feel like notes are really useful. They seem kind of obvious, but mm-hmm. like taking notes, a, a lot of little notes and things that usually are kind of forgotten, even though you feel like you remember, I think that's still crucial. And I still use that day to day because if you're not paying attention to every word, sometimes the right answer for a client is between the words and between the sentences. And mm-hmm. the, the more you kind of make those marks, like put those landmarks in your memory of, okay, this was the struggle we were dealing with in that conversation, um, the better. But it's it's like, it's not just a broad sense of what the client needs. It's also the specific things that the, the client is reacting to, which sometimes if you don't, grab onto that, you don't catch those, pay attention enough, write those down, give that attention, then you might end up solving large fuzzy problems and you might think you found a solution, you present it again and the client's like, no, that's still not it, you know? And that's usually because you might just be investigating maybe one layer of their feedback um, and not understanding all the things that might help you get to that final answer that it's like, yes, let's build it. Right. So yeah, it's kind of a, a balance between those. And of course the conversation part and that good, the, the comfortable positive communication part, especially with the clients and is, is important because that, you know, if it's just detachment, if it's just a bullet point of what you, what they would like to see, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not clear either because the client doesn't always know what they want. Either. Right. Right. Right driving a mood, something abstract, but they actually mean something else or something very specific and being able to have not just bullet points, but a kind of back and forth conversation of clarifying and developing and really open up opportunities, not just for you to explore cool, awesome stuff that you might think of, but for them to get something that they hadn't thought of yet, um, which, you know, might come out in conversation like, Oh, actually, yeah, that might be even more interesting. Um, or, you know, getting an insight into their thinking that opens up way more possibilities for you as a concept artist. It's like, oh, okay, so you're not just looking for a blue painting, you know, you're looking for all these potential things that might work. And so it can both open up your opportunities and also narrow your focus in a really good way. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes into my next question, which is, you know, the difference between concept art and design. So the iterative process, the communication back and forth doesn't really allow you sometimes to go or if you even if you want to. Right. I don't even think you want to go full rendering on an idea and spend all that extra time um, just bringing a drawing to full finish. Yeah. Uh, 
so like how do you balance that when you want to how, how do you bring out the key ideas on something before you run off with it and yeah like how much more of it is about your skills as an illustrator than as a concept mm-hmm. artist right so i think this is where the stronger you know your abilities are as a 2d illustrator of creating illusion mm-hmm. or it will help you and it works this way you know if i finish a painting that looks somewhat finished and i think the idea is decent um it's not fully rendered and refined but you know it's presentable it's something that you can say is more or less finished um you you need to not fall in love with that and really let go it, as soon as you're finished with it know that it's not necessarily the final product. And that's something that, you know, means that, you know, when the player goes in there, they're going to experience every angle of that design and move through that in different ways for different projects, obviously. But to understand that, you know, when you have that painting, when you have that painting that you like a lot, it doesn't mean that's the final one. And it usually means it's, it's probably still early in that process of finding that final design. And that means that somebody might ask for a completely different angle, a completely different type of take on it. But you can borrow core pieces of the actual architecture of the actual props and objects. And you can remake these images and kind of kitbash your own work. And that way it becomes less about image making and mm-hmm. creating a single clear illustration with all the cos- uh, composition super worked out. And it's more about using your image as a kind of workshop and thinking of it that way, you know, a workshop with a bunch of pieces that you've created and you can swap out and play with, with paint really quickly and, and iterate and doodle on top of your painting, which, you know, if you get too illustrative with it and too calculated with it, you might end up something that's too tight for you to break. Right. And you, you need to be able to break it in order to, move things and change things. So, you know, the more you're the better illustrator you are, it will help you certainly, but you also need to realize that, you know, as a concept artist, you're, you're a concept designer first, essentially. And then an artist second in a way where first you're supposed to do the dirty work of piecing these things together and stitching them and ripping them apart. And that's kind of why you have your job, right? Because that's harder to do when you have a full finished product and it's much easier to do when you just have pixels moving around. So if you can do those quick movements and those changes uh, in those earlier stages, then it, you know, you, that sets the whole team up for success. Wow. Um, that sets the art director up for not feeling like they're, you know, derailing your whole illustrated masterpiece. They feel more comfortable saying, let's take that out because it's not quite a finished render yet either. And, you know, you as a designer know that the answer is, oh, yeah, for sure, I'll take that out. And I know that there's potential for something even better, because my final product was never the illustration. It was the final design, which is something that's beyond the illustration. That's the game itself, the film itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding the difference between that, I think, is really important as a concept artist, and specifically as a concept artist that's, successful in solving problems because I think first and foremost, you're a problem solver more than you're just uh, an illustrator or an artist. 
So with your background in architecture, like how do you feel like it applies to different areas of uh, game design, concept artists, uh, or art in particular? Like how do you feel it can help? Um, Because I imagine as an architect, you might talk in for safety, conduct reasons and stuff like that, but you're not really talking to anyone else when you're creating these. But in the entertainment world, you're constantly in the middle of different disciplines, trying to make it look functional for all at the same time, you know, be open for the iterative process, especially as a concept artist. So, yeah, yeah, there are a few things that really align really nicely with architecture because the, the, the one thing, the misconception I think about creativity is that when it's just an open field day and you can create whatever you want, that that is somehow a better situation than if somebody gives you a very specific, very, very specific puzzle to solve. And in a way, all that creative potential really blossoms when you have these limitations on your design. And when you understand that, you can kind of create your own problems, for example. You can create your own limitations, your own code that you then have to solve. And it's not just some tedious exercise where you just like tell yourself, where do I put the railing? It's mm-hmm. more about, you know, uh, both with thinking about the larger project in mind and how it's going to be constructed. What are the building blocks of any given civilization? What are the limitations on their their technology, their materials, their their beliefs, their social structure, the way they interact with their their gods or their history, all these different things can be, um, they form, they, they, they sculpt your design without touching it, but conceptually they sculpt it, right? Because if, if you know, if somebody's worshiping the sun, it may not make sense to put moons everywhere. I mean, it's like the obvious one, but, you know, if you have these limitations, the more you can craft these story elements and also work those into a, a, a flexible modular system of experimenting, the more you can kind of bridge story, level design, the actual environment, um, and kind of harmoniously put those together. Because I think sometimes concept art, as concept art, is kind of a vision, and it's this blurry vision kind of handed off. And you know, then it's it's for everybody else to kind of make sense of. And in a way, if if you think more architecturally, you can kind of understand the building blocks, the repeating building blocks of a society or or of an environment. And that both helps the continuity of your concept, your art, but it also helps the continuity into the actual environment building process where you know people have to the Environment artists have to find some kind of system that works best for them to create what might be a very complex environment. And how do you create one painting and uh, give enough information to populate an entire level? You know, and in some cases, a whole civilization with just that one or two paintings. You know, so that means that you have to build into it. Next up is with an old pal that I've worked with many times before, Joel Durnham. He's been back and forth in the visual effects companies as well as uh, AAA companies. And he was able to kind of 
uh, talk with his latest hobby, VR sculpting. Now, this is when it was starting to get pretty hot and we can see how Adobe uh, acquired Medium from Oculus, but also uh, how Substance Painter is kind of teaming up with that team. So this is all before that. And we had the opportunity to kind of talk all things VR and how it kind of would influence a lot of the sculpting tools as well as painting tools of the future and which eventually came true. And uh, Joel had the foresight to kind of get in on this on the ground floor uh, while it was still a hobbyist type of thing. So this is from episode 257, VR Sculpting with Joel Durnham. Like just in here and figure it out. I don't have to go to YouTube like I do on ZBrush or... You know, it's like that one that one obscure feature that you're really looking for. You have to Google search for like 10 minutes. But in here, it's just, it's all there for you, you know? Dude, that is so fantastic. I'll just bring this in. And, so can you technically, there. wow, can you technically, is there an HDMI Bluetooth tech? <laughs> like, can you go completely wireless if you really want to? Actually, you can. I, I know it will cost you a significant amount of money to do that, but yes, you can definitely set that up. I forget the company name, but um, I can I can always look it up and send it your way later. No worries, dude. This is looking. Yeah, I can see why hard surface is so possible. And, and look at this. This was the other thing that I I just instantly fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's lagging a little bit right now just because the change that I made was so big, it's having to like recalculate all the voxels. Yeah. But uh-huh. I mean, still, like that's a really nice, smooth result, you know? Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Dude, that looks awesome. And even have an elastic mode, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, How's its uh, Boolean tools? Uh, are you able to like just chunk out stuff yeah it's really really nice actually that's probably one of my other favorite features about this as soon as it, see I, I made the mistake of doing a really complicated uh, move on something <laughs> that was a little too high density so yeah. you can see it really does have its limitations but yeah. you know it should allow you to play, play uh, uh, yeah it should allow you to play games while you're waiting <laughs> <laughs> oh shit I think I lost you right <laughs> yeah got you back um, let me what I'm going to do is I'm just going to hide that so that we don't have to deal with uh, that resolution anymore and mm-hmm. I'll just make a new layer So how how do you go about to uh, to creating fabric with this tool? So here, let me show you. Show up. me the tricks. Um, all right. So this this thing gets extra points for being able to do like hard surface and soft surface with really like kind of the same tool set. Um, I forgot where I put my my favorite one. Here we go primitives and this one. All right. So this one is absolutely one of my favorite primitives. It's kind of like a rounded, flattened, cubish thing, mm-hmm. but you can get some really nice uh, shapes with this one. Oh, nice. 
Give me one second here because I think I need to delete some some layers because it's shouldn't be lagging like that. Mm-hmm. It's usually a little smoother. Just... I, oh, and the undo button is really nice. It's just like you flick like left oh. or right with the the little joystick, and you're good to go. Man. All right, this is such a game changer. There we go. So now we're back to nice overall performance here. So, like, if you want to do some nice organic shapes, you can really Mm. get in here, start to kind of like switching back and forth pretty often between things. So, let's just like start to make little arm type thing oh, wow. that we would put some cloth on mm-hmm. and start smoothing all this stuff out. There's like a, there's a lot of settings for each uh, tool mm-hmm. you can go through. So I'm just going to pump the uh, strength on this all the way up and smooth this out. Oh, nice. Oh, wow, man. Uh, ZBrush 9 better do something, dude. <laughs> it, <laughs> I know, I know, right? Yeah, man. It's, they're usually still on top of things. But, yeah, the last two updates, it's been kind of kind of low-key. Yeah, not not much in the way of, like, new things, huh? Yeah. I mean, they have, like, this nice filter. They went Instagram a bit, but <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> did, think that was yeah. insane. But yeah, this is something that I would expect them to jump on, man. Like this is what artists has been waiting for, uh, the sculptors. So you can see you can really just nice get in there and start to get these natural looking shapes so easily. Mhm. I can see how you get pretty uh, lost in this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think one of the most like fun things about it is taking, like if you've been in it for a while and you take the headset off, it takes a minute for your brain to actually realize that none of the stuff that you were working on is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, like I, I've literally taken off the headset before and like tried to point at the model uh, and say, <laughs> like, say to my wife, like, Hey, look at, look at what I worked on. And I realized like, it's not there. It's only in a headset. <laughs> One more step towards the matrix. Yeah, I know. I know. It really, it, it's really getting crazy. So how, how, how was your transition? Because obviously you still prefer the user brush in some cases, right? How was that man? Like being, feeling somewhat restricted now not not having this uh vr set on and being able to scope like you you enjoy um yeah i mean it's it's such an interesting transition because i i feel like a lot of people for a long time are going to use them in conjunction you know Mm -hmm. um i i almost feel like there's a world where they coexist Mm -hmm. for a little bit um you know, and obviously, if ZBrush decides to go 
uh, full 3D and join VR, then like you know, it's it's going to be around for a long time. But uh, that's what I'm hoping happens. Yeah, but man, right now, fun. you know, just being able to do the block in or the concept art in here, and then go to ZBrush to refine it is like mm. you know, that's enough of a dream come true. Like I'm I'm happy, you know. Yeah, yeah, just being able to even like get a shape going and use it as an insert mesh in here and then bring it back to refine it because this is a great concepting tool just being able to figure things out in here is way more intuitive than having to keep spinning and right clicking and spin uh like zooming in <laughs> to kind of yeah, take a definitely. look at things yeah and then like the, the thing that really gets crazy is um because because you have your full wrist and you can mm. twist things, yeah dude yeah that's like, a lot of control you know you can make like these really dynamic folds you know and and twist them into itself like i mean it's just unprecedented the level of control that you have with these things yeah you know? and looking at like and all the the muscles that you're working right now too <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Like that that was another thing that I was really excited about is I do not want to be chained to my desk. Uh yeah. you know. Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to get up and like I can actually walk around this whole thing and look at it from the other side or I can turn it, you know, like you're just you're so free mm -hmm. that it's it's really refreshing. Mm -hmm. And let me I'm going to switch gears here for a second just so I can show you some of the um, organic stuff that I've been working on. Oh, actually, I just remembered I haven't saved that one yet. I think that spaceship is going to be fun, so I'm just going to do that real quick. And you can see that like the save doesn't really take that long either. Oh, nice. Yeah, Voxel has... So it's not like either super yeah. heavy or anything like that. They're, they're pretty light files. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the advantage of Voxel was made clear like years and years ago. I mean, that's what Minecraft is all about. And it's crazy that we haven't really fully transitioned into that from polygons yet. Dude, hell yeah. Dude, I mean, I, I can't... Just imagining the stand next to your character must be a fun feeling. Oh man, it's it's crazy because you can see in context like this thing. You know, let's say you were working on something that's supposed to be like eleven feet tall. Mm -hmm. You know, you can size it and you can look up at it, and you can feel if that character feels right. Like mm -hmm. it's it's really cool to be able to have the context of size. Mm -hmm. And then just go with it. Does it have any like um, aside from maybe posing, but like animation that you can preview with rigging, any of that sort that kind of helps make your character come alive, or is it too it's too so, early, too early to do that? I think there. So there's there's another whole program that's out. Well, I don't know if it's out or not, but. Uh, you can see a video of it on YouTube where essentially this guy is just placing these joints mm -hmm. in VR in 3D space. 
And then when he's done, it's rigged. Like he can grab the joints and like move the arms and it's all just dynamically figuring it out on the fly. And I was just really impressed by that. Yeah, because I can imagine like animators and riggers will have a field day with this the same way that we're enjoying the sculpting part. Like being able to like pose your character and key key movements and stuff. Last but not least, part of the gdux.me conference that we threw two years ago, I invited an old friend, Damon Woods, and he too is currently at Respawn working on the Star Wars IP, uh, but he is a character artist as well as a teacher over at Nomen uh, Visual Effects Studio. He was gracious enough to kind of walk through his personal project, Monstars, where he kind of went through the Space Jam characters uh, reimagining them to today's uh, all-stars from the NBA and uh, pretty much envision what they would look like if he were to kind of give the Space Jam-esque treatment. So this is from episode 280, The Making of Monstars Remastered with Damon Woods. Enjoy. 2D and, and 3D artists and the ones that can do both are insanely talented and you can see through their expression uh, how, how, how there's a different there's, there's a different type of flavor I, I feel whenever I, I see like a, a master of everything kind of approaching a, a particular project so very much the same way I think the old guards are always going to have a an issue how how much things are easier now, quote unquote, right? But uh, right. I, I think for the anyone that has have the longest legs in the industry are the p- types that that embraces new tech, that embraces new ways, that completely opens up uh, a different way of thinking uh, to evolve as an artist, uh, to evolve as a developer, to evolve as a businessman, anything of that sort. Uh, anytime that you close off in, in a technology-driven industry uh, only spells trouble, in my opinion. <laughs> right. If you're still out there talking about how CRT TVs are are, are used to be the way of things, uh, you know, no one's going <laughs> right. to take you seriously. You're, you're definitely showing right. your age a bit, yeah. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's um, the other thing that comes with the new tools is that the bar rises. You have to rise with that bar. Um, where, you know, a, a certain character used to take, you know, a month to finish. Now with the new tools along, uh, you know, that have come along, the expectation is to finish that same character in maybe two or three weeks. Um, and so you have to kind of keep up with that and stay um, up to date with all the tools. Um, there's just no resting, you know, in this industry. It's too competitive. There's too many people out there churning out. I mean, I, I teach at Noman. I can tell you right now that next class is coming and they're, they're pretty good. They're like, they, they know their stuff. They grew up with these tools. And so there's no barrier there. And they're also being taught, taught the fundamentals and stuff too, because no one's great at that. They still have, you know, traditional sculpting classes and drawing classes. And these types of schools are popping up everywhere, you know, uh, CGMA, all these different schools. So um, the competition is, is pretty crazy out there. So that alone is why you have to stay on top of it. There's no, you know, resting. And um, you know, the true pros, you know, the, the people who really, uh, are excelling in this industry in the first place are the ones who love to do it. Um, whether they love, you know, have a love in their personal projects um, or, you know, they, they bring it into the studio too, which is important. Um, 
there's always going to be that um, that kind of drive there, and you just need to make sure that you kind of keep that fire going, keep the uh, keep the pilot light lit uh, on that, and and continue to kind of grow and, and progress and, and challenge yourself. Uh, that's kind of my outlook on it. Uh, when I look at these personal projects, it is definitely uh, marketable. Uh, it's it's a good marketing opportunity too for yourself, and that's really important actually as an artist because you want to you know you want to have your name out there because once again it's so competitive. Um, there's a lot of, you know, killers out there and like, they're, you know, they're really good at marketing themselves. So you, that's another thing that you need to, um, uh, kind of evolve and grow with. That's kind of like where I'm, I'm trying to, uh, improve on this year too. Um, in the past, I wasn't really, um, great at marketing myself. I was just kind of like, uh, my nose to the grindstone and, uh, trying to churn stuff out, trying to, uh, you know, reach a certain level in my career, um, and, and just work on projects that were appealing to me. But, there is a, a like kind of a, a, a meeting point between those two worlds that you can live in where you can make something that people love to look at and then it can blossom into things that you weren't even aware. Like, you know, like you can start, you know, busting all these pieces and sooner or later people want to buy those. People want to buy prints from you. People want to, you know, uh, come, you know, watch your streams. And so there's uh, an opportunity to kind of uh, share that and then share that knowledge with a, with a bigger audience. So yeah, marketing this stuff is definitely a big part of it too. Um, a lot of people grew up with Space Jam, so I knew that would be a big one. Um, I'm actually working on a new series. Uh, I, if we have time, I have to show you guys real quick uh, something I'm working on, like a sneak peek. No one's seen this before yet, but oh, I'm, I'm trying to get 3D printing. So I'm, I've been like, kind of messing around with uh, different stuff. So I'm doing like my series on like uh, realistic Mario. <laughs> so like, yeah. this is like a whip right now. This is like a ripped. So. Yeah, big ripped Mario. So like it's like that's, the Smash Bro- <laughs> Smash Brothers version. That's that's before uh, COVID Mario, right? That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Maybe before he was doing all the protein. Gym. Yeah, all that protein. Yeah, he's got awesome man. He's got his uh, bling on there. Dude, that's so that's what I'm you know in Yoshi's cool and then I'm yeah yeah. There yeah. we go. That yeah, looks so incredible. this is what I'm working on right now and. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it like a, a, a more realistic Yoshi and put him on his back and uh, you know, try to um, get some 3D prints out of this and, and see where it goes. So this is my first attempt at something from the beginning, planning it out as a 3D print. Yeah. Um, I still have plans on printing some of my older stuff, but this one I just want to streamline for that. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, I can kind of like start developing a new hobby and then maybe that hobby can turn into something else in the future. But you now just that's a way of keeping it fresh for me so that I don't um, kind of get bogged down in the same flow um, every time. Yeah. So explain to me while you're getting into this world, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot more character art friends than I do. Right. So 3d printing has become like quite synonymous with character uh, developers, uh, character artists in the game industry. It, it just seems to be like a natural extension of your skill set. You know, I'm already sculpting it now. Why don't I print it so I can hold things? Um, right. How, from at least your beginning understanding of that industry, I mean, how, uh, what, what, what is that world like? Like, is there like a, I know that you're, you're going to approaching this as a hobbyist, but I mean, is there a potential uptake in that in, in, in building a, a business venture or, or any extension beyond just, just making cool, cool art pieces? Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at some of the other, uh, really successful 3d artists out there who are, um, uh, kind of branching out and uh, kind of monetizing themselves. They all started from just being uh, a fan and a student of, of character art and, and art in general. Mm-hmm. And they kind of blossomed out from that, um, usually very organically, you know, like um, 
you, they start off just, you know, uh, really enjoying making art. And then they would build a fan base sooner or later. And then you, you start getting requests from like, man, like, can I, can I print that out? I would love to have that as a print. And it's like, well, like maybe uh, what's this 3d printing stuff. Maybe I should look into that. And then you start, you know, you kind of go down that rabbit hole and then you discover prints for yourself. And then um, you start busting these out. And before you know it, you know, uh, different collectible companies are hitting you up for contract work or, or uh, maybe, you know, speaking of contract work, maybe you're, you're a contractor. And um, after a while you build a, uh, a clientele, to the point where you decide to maybe branch out and create your own contracting business where you, uh, you know, just you're, you're an outsourced company. Um, all of that kind of organically comes from, you know, you know, starting at that grassroots place, kind of building it organically um, and uh, building up a clientele and a fan base uh, from there. And uh, that's kind of like where I'm, I'm trying to uh, go to. That's like the kind of the next step in things is, uh, you know, I'm still kind of a student of the, you're, you're always a student of the craft, but at the same time, um, I think teaching to that next group is really important. So I've, I've tried to, you know, set aside time to teach um, and at the same time uh, grow like other businesses uh, as far as like uh, outsourcing and, and just really helping out like studios um, where they need it. Cause I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, that's um, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of, uh, of being an instructor and, and being a, a part of, uh, the new crop of developers uh, at the same time, you're, you're in the forefront of uh, giving back to the community, which is huge. I want to thank you for that. And, um, and, and, and you learn a lot by teaching, right? You, you kind of better your, your knowledge, base, your foundation at the same time, you know, a part of you is like scouting the talent, right? You're like, all right, how many, <laughs> how many years I got left before these guys take my job, right? Uh, because they're coming in cheaper, more, more, more willing, right? I mean, there's a lot of things stacked with them, right? I mean, if they come with the skill set, of course, of course, it's a huge, huge plus. Uh, that's not to downplay, you know, experienced veterans, right? I mean, there's a place, there's a reason why AAA studios or what they call quad A studios now want to hire senior professionals because there's a certain, I would say, patience, right? There's a certain quality and approach, uh, a certain general aspect of game development that requires a senior professionals to kind of take hold and, and, and be leads, right? Because come on, right. you can't just hand the key, kid the, to the, I mean, hand the kid to the keys to the car and just expect them to be suddenly driving these multi-million dollar projects. It's absolutely that's one yeah, thing that and we can rest on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, um, when you, you know, kind of put your years in and you pay your dues, that's ultimately like everyone's different. Obviously everyone has their different ambitions, um, I've always seen it as, yeah, like, um, uh, I don't plan to be a production artist forever. Um, as much as I love it, um, it can wear on you. Um, there, especially the way the industry is going right now, crunch is becoming more and more, uh, just an accepted cultural thing in, in the game industry. Um, but there's other avenues. And I think, uh, uh, as artists, sometimes we kind of accept, um, the way things are, um, where, you know, there's other avenues you can go to kind of, uh, you know, build for yourself, you know, um, outsourcing is obviously going to become uh, more prevalent in these years, especially with, you know, the way things are going, um, as an artist, an individual, I'm just talking about as an individual artist, um, you know, working from home, working remotely. Um, and then also just keeping in mind, uh, smaller studios that don't uh, require as much crunch. Um, obviously the larger studios, they're going to, you know, 
it is, it kind of is what it is right now. Hopefully there's reform coming, but I wouldn't bank on it because like, you know, there's the quality bar is at a place right now where you can't go backwards. You can only go forward. And it just takes a lot of hours. It takes a lot of iteration and it takes a lot of people who just love that lifestyle. And there, there are those people out there. And I used to be one of those people. I still am. I still really love um, just grinding on something until the late hours. But there's also a part of me that um, is like, well, I've got a kid on the way. Uh, you know, I, I want to spend some, some time with my family. Oh, thank you. Um, and so, you know, just kind of exploring those other avenues that maybe uh, don't go down that same path. All right. That concludes today's episode. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that. I had fun adding Art Boost as part of the Game Dev Unchained podcast episodes. And I'm looking forward to adding more of that and maybe not restricting it to just Art Boost per se and uh, inviting other um, developers as well to kind of work through their personal projects. So I think personal projects, if anything, is a great uh, way to... Uh, pave the future of your own destiny um whether it can become an indie thing uh but also uh to practice aspiring towards other disciplines that you're not normally doing from uh at your nine to five job so that concludes today's episode hopefully you guys enjoy the series so far uh see you guys on the next one Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give GameDev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody